As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll board it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Well, hello there. You're listening to Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I feel silly every time I sing that, but at the same time, it's fun. Well, this week we're continuing on with my all-time favorite myth, the best thing in this world, the most... I don't even know why I love it so much, I won't try to give you any good reasons, but it's a great myth. Just know that. Just like last week, in this episode I'll be quoting the translation of Apuleius' The Golden Ass that I've read in order to, pre- to prepare. Uh, once again, it's translated by Sarah Rudin and it's published by Yale University Press, and it's awesome. A good translation can do absolute wonders for ancient texts. Trying to read and understand something that was written 2,000 years ago and then translated 60 plus years ago by an old white man is really tricky and annoying and often you don't get the real entertainment that's in the story. All to say that this translation is not an example of that. It's accessible and funny and awesome. If you missed last week's episode, give it a listen, because this one picks up right where it left off. Uh, This is part two of the story of Cupid and Psyche, my all-time favorite myth and just magnificent myth. There's the cat again. This is the story that got me into Greek mythology in the first place. I can remember so specifically uh, this time in elementary school where we had to research a myth for one reason or another. It's been a hell of a long time. I was probably 10, and my mom had this series of beautiful children's books, and one of them was a collection of myths. In it, I found Cupid and Psyche, and then proceeded to learn everything I possibly could about Greek mythology and all its magnificent wonders. That being said, uh, you may have gathered from last week, but this is the myth where I'm least likely to criticize. In fact, Cupid is quite a dick to Psyche, but I've romanticized it in my head, and that is what I give you now. No one is perfect. 
So where we left off, Psyche was a princess in an unnamed Mediterranean city. She was considered as beautiful as Venus, otherwise known as Aphrodite, but this story is Roman, so we're using Roman names. Venus doesn't like this. The people were worshipping Psyche, and Venus has a flair for the dramatic. So she sent her son to prick Psyche with his arrow and make her fall in love with an outcast monster person. Meanwhile, Psyche's dad went to the Oracle to find out why she wasn't finding a husband because patriarchy, and the Oracle said she would marry a monster and to bring her to a cliff for her wedding-slash-funeral procession, which they did. Then the West Wing Zephyr picked her up, brought her to a meadow where she found a palace. In the palace, she has everything she could ever want except people. At night, her husband comes to her, but she can't see what he looks like. They've fallen in love because I guess seeing a person or really talking to them at all mattered less in ancient Greece. But Psyche has seen her sisters, even though it was highly recommended that she not see them and not listen to them because there is someone out to get her and it would be major trouble if she were to reveal to her sisters that she was married to a voice in the dark. They would have questions, and those questions would have consequences. Psyche does see her sisters, though, and she tells a lie. Those sisters pretend to be supportive, but they are not, and they're conniving and planning a way to screw Psyche over. They're jealous, and they don't want Psyche to have a happy life. Nice ladies. Real sisterly. And with that recap, this is... Episode 11, Sneaky and Snoopy, The Story of Cupid and Psyche, Part 2. The night after Psyche's sisters leave to plan their huh, troublesome tricks, Psyche's husband comes to see her again. Once again, he warns her of her sisters, but this time he has an idea what they're planning. He tells Psyche that they will come back with a plan to make her spy on him, to convince her that she must see his face. But he tells her if she sees his face even once, she won't ever be able to see it again. Once again, he warns her that there is danger in letting these women convince her to distrust him. There is someone wishing the worst for Psyche, and it's all the better if she stays under the radar. It's all very cryptic, but he gets the point across. He leaves her with a final warning. He says that if they come back, and they will, that she can't answer any questions about him at all. She, he tells her that she will become pregnant soon, and if she protects their secrets, the child will be divine. But if she doesn't, the child will be mortal. It's a pretty serious warning. But also no explanation of why the child would be divine. The fact that Psyche isn't more curious about who he is is constantly surprising. A few days pass and start, Psyche starts to notice the pregnancy, but one night when her husband comes to her, he's got far more dramatic news. He says they're coming, the sisters, with a murderous plan to basically ruin everything. There's a lot of very intense words, words used. I feel I can't properly convey how serious he's being. He's basically telling her that everything in her life depends on her not betraying their secrets to her sisters. Everything. She tells him that he, she will keep the secrets and that he can trust her. That she just wants to see her sisters, though, so please can they come by again. She just needs to see them. She's really very lonely. The next day, the sisters arrive at the mountain in such a fury that they don't even wait for Zephyr to pick them up. Nope, they're super smart, and they decide to just go for it. They throw themselves off the mountain. Zephyr is not psyched. This is not the way things work. 
but he's faithful to Psyche and her husband, and so he picks the sisters up as they're falling, and he keeps them from falling to their deaths. Probably would have been better if he hadn't, but there you go. The sisters see Psyche, and they start fawning over her pregnancy. Everyone will be so excited, they say. You'll be such a good mom, they say. Meanwhile, they're fucking crazy, and they still haven't told anyone that Psyche's alive, and have basically spent all this time figuring out how to ruin everything anyway. But they don't show this, no. Instead, they say about the baby, quote, If he takes after his gorgeous parents, which would only be natural, well, a real Cupid's going to be born. Psyche totally falls for all this bullshit and welcomes them in. Once, she, once again, she gives them everything. They're treated like queens until one of them feigns as if they haven't already had this conversation and starts asking Psyche about her husband. Who is he? Who are his family? Psyche forgets her original lie, big mistake, and makes up something totally different. He's a merchant, she says. He's wealthy. He's old. It's exactly the opposite of what she said before. Come on, Psyche. The sisters are sent off with Zephyr at the end of the day, and once they're away from Psyche, they talk about the little oversight. They figure, well, if she can't keep it straight who he is or what he looks like, then she probably hasn't even seen his face. And if she hasn't seen his face, that means that she's probably married to a god. And if she's married to a god, then she's about to give birth to another god. One of them says, quote, If she becomes famous as some divine tot's mother, the first thing I'll do is rig a noose and hang myself. Seriously, these chicks are awesome. So they head back again the next morning. And this time they feign as if they have all the concern in the world for their sister. They're, we're just worried about you. You're living in a fantasy, but we've been keeping watch over you, agonizing about this terrible situation you're in. They tell Psyche they've found out that the husband that comes to her every night and the creepy crazy monster that the Oracle predicted she would marry are one and the same. <gasps> that her husband is, quote, a monstrous serpent with many whirled coils slithering, its neck running with bloody poison, its deep maw gaping wide. They tell her there are witnesses, that hunters and nearby townspeople have seen the monster returning to the palace at night. They tell her that the monster won't be feeding her and fattening her up for much longer. Nope, next up he's going to devour you and your unborn baby. Now, do you want that to happen? Or do you want to trust your sisters who only want the best for you and love you unconditionally? Psyche is too trusting. Guess who she goes with? This is when the narrator describes Psyche as, quote, a simple thing with an intellect like a tiny, delicate bud. Which is a thing? She promptly forgets all her husband's warnings every time he was so specific as to tell her exactly what her sisters would try to pull on her. Nope, she forgets it all. Instead, she panics, loses her shit, then tells her sisters all about how she's never seen his face and how when she asks about it, he tells her she'll be very sorry one day and obviously that means that he's the monster they think he is. Now, of course, Psyche's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. Her sisters tell her that they've thought it through and there is only one way out. She couldn't just, you know, leave. No. She has to prepare a weapon, find a blade, and sharpen it real good. Then she has to get an oil lamp, light it, but cover it so that no light escapes. Then she's got to go to bed 
and wait for him to come as he always does. When he arrives, she'll sneak over and remove the covering from the lamp, filling the room with light. Then she'll take the tiny blade and slice the serpent's head clean off, because we're assuming he's a serpent. From there, her sisters will be nearby, and they'll take Psyche and all her things away safely and marry her off to a human. You know, because she can't not be married. All good, easy peasy, totally the right solution. After telling her this, they promptly got the hell out of there. They went back up to the mountain with Zephyr and then went straight to the ships that would bring them home. They fully abandoned her because they're awful women only looking to fuck shit up because they just got shitty husbands. I get it, ladies. You didn't have a choice. It sucks to be female in ancient Greece, but we take it out on men, not on our lovely sisters who would just happen to have some decent luck in life and are too trusting. Psyche now has this plan, but she's not totally sure. She wavers back and forth constantly. She trusts her sisters, which she shouldn't, but she also loves and trusts her husband. After all, while it's weird she's never seen his face, he is otherwise wonderful. Finally, she decides she's going to do it. She gets everything ready and she goes to sleep. That night, her husband comes and they have sex because I guess she's not too concerned that he's actually a scary poisonous snake monster. After he's fallen asleep, she gets out the lamp and lights up the room. And, you guessed it, it's not a scary snake monster lying peacefully on the bed. It's Cupid. Beautiful, sexy Cupid. He's sleeping peacefully. She stares at him for a while. Seriously, he's super hot. Plus, he's got those beautiful white feathery wings off his back. They're folded up all nice so we can sleep. Honestly, he's pretty magnificent. I'd take him, Psyche, if you don't want him, I'm just saying. Psyche panics. Obviously, she didn't want to kill Cupid. She wanted to kill a monster thing. The knife falls from her hand because it doesn't want to kill him. She sways in her spot, and the lamp itself leaps back at the sight. Then she looks at the foot of the bed where he's placed his famous bow and arrow. She examines them and accidentally pricks herself with one of the arrows and draws blood. Seems like a dumb mistake to me, but what do I know? I'm not often touching the tips of very sharp arrows. Anyway, she's pricked herself with a love arrow, and so now not only does she love him because they've been, you know, sleeping together for months and married even if she only feels him at night, but also now she magically loves him. Super dangerous. She goes back over to Cupid, and now she's full of magic love lust. Seriously dangerous stuff. She gets a little crazy. She's not steady on her feet, and she's still holding that pesky oil lamp. She sways, and a drop of hot oil falls from the lamp and lands on Cupid, burning him badly. He wakes up with a nasty burn and sees immediately that Psyche has betrayed his trust. She's done the single thing he's warned her against doing. And he tries to fly off without a word, but Psyche grabs onto his ankle as he goes and he ends up flying off with her. She lands on the ground outside and he flies up into a tree to tell her his side of the story. He tells her how Venus had come to him, asking him to make Psyche fall in love with some monster guy. But 
see Cupid heads down there. He sees Psyche and is like, holy shit, this chick is awesome. And then he also accidentally pricks himself with one of his own love arrows because he's so caught up in his admiration for Psyche pre-love arrow. And then so he ends up falling magically in love with her on top of his immediate natural admiration. So basically this plan failed Venus pretty miserably. Cupid, now truly madly deeply in love with Psyche, decides to steal her off where Venus couldn't find her and he makes her his wife. He says, quote, What I get out of it, apparently, is that you think I'm a monster and try to cut off my head with a sword. Though, in this head, I've only got eyes for you. He tells her he's going to punish her sisters for what they've done and that he'll punish her too, but only by leaving her. And he flies away. Psyche, having learned all of this, is pretty distraught. She's kicking herself. Why did she listen to her sisters when Cupid had warned her? They had never liked her to begin with. They'd always been jealous bitches, and but she wanted family nearby so badly that she forgot all of that. Now that she knows she's been married to Cupid, which is quite the feat, and she's ruined it, she tries to kill herself. She throws herself off a cliff and into a river. But the river itself is so devoted and fearful of Cupid's wrath that it doesn't let her die. It catches her and puts her on dry land nearby. When she's back on dry land, she notices that the god Pan, the god of shepherds and sheep, is nearby. He's actually sitting with the nymph Echo, who you might remember from an earlier mini-myth. And he's teaching her how to repeat the tones he's making up and down the scale. Sounds pretty adorable, to be honest. Anyway, Psyche notices Pan, and he offers her some advice. He says, quote, Here's a real feat of prophecy, which would pass muster with the experts. If I deduce correctly from your feet that won't quit tottering and staggering and your alarmingly pale skin and your ceaseless sighing and those eyes rolling back in your head, you're suffering from an oversupply of love. So listen to me and stop trying to make away with yourself by plummeting off things and forget any other sort of death by your own hand. Stop grieving and moaning and instead pray to Cupid. Give him your full devotion because he's the greatest god there is. In researching this, I thought, man, to save time, I could totally leave out this pan section. And then I read that quote and I thought, nope, worth it. Basically, Pan gives her the most ironic, amazing advice possible. You're overwhelmed by love? Why, just pray to Cupid and all will be better. But what if the love you have is for Cupid and he's the one who left you? Oh, well, that's a trickier situation. Maybe the rules don't always apply. Psyche doesn't tell Pan her predicament, mind you. She thanks him for his advice and leaves, wandering off alone. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll board it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! 
I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, she comes to a land where one of her sisters happens to rule with her husband. She's announced to her sister and tells her all about what's happened. She recounts how it was those sisters who convinced her to do the stupid thing in the first place and how it really bit her in the ass because, hey, turns out she was married to Cupid. But after telling the story of how it actually went while pointedly calling out the awful advice those stupid sisters gave, she elaborates a bit. She says that when Cupid woke up, he yelled, quote, You! Because of this terrible crime, consider yourself divorced from me this moment. Leave our marital home and take anything that's yours. I'm going to wed your sister with all the required ceremonies. And gave your full legal name. Who has the intellect of a tiny, delicate bud now? The sisters quickly made up a lie to tell her husband. She told him that her parents had died, and she went immediately to that same old mountaintop. From there, she called to Cupid that she was the wife he deserved, and she flung herself from the cliff, asking Zephyr to pick her up and bring her to the palace to meet her new husband. Of course, Zephyr said fuck that, and instead, pieces of her ended up everywhere. Just everywhere. Next, Psyche headed over to her other sister and told a similar lie. That sister was, of course, just as shitty and did the exact same thing, and once again, pieces of her everywhere. Such a satisfying ending for them both, if you ask me. From there, Psyche scours the land, trying to find Cupid. 
but turns out Cupid is actually in his mother's bedroom on Mount Olympus. He's pretty injured from the oil burn, and he's making a big fuss. Venus isn't there, though. She's down by the beach. At the beach, she's approached by a bird, a talking bird, evidently, that tells her where Cupid is and that there are some pretty bad rumors going around. Everyone is saying that Cupid is off in the mountains with trash and that Venus is just wasting her time dipping her toes in the sea. They're saying that because of this, there's no charm or lust or love left in the world. Venus doesn't take this well. As we've learned, she has quite the temper, particularly when it comes to people worshipping her and her reputation. Of course, this is also the first Venus has heard of Cupid being with a woman at all. She asks who it is, suggesting all types of nymphs and lesser goddesses that could have seduced him. The chatty bird, though, isn't sure. But he thinks he heard her name is Psyche and that Cupid is madly in love with her. This, of course, sets Venus off. She knows Psyche, knows her well. She yells, quote, Does he actually love Psyche, that leech on my beauty, that rival for my position? I guess that little growth of mine thought I was a madam pointing the girl out to him. Ooh, you should get to know that one. Seriously, everyone go read this translation for yourself because it's amazing. Venus then goes immediately up to her room on Mount Olympus and finds Cupid. And she goes off. Oh man, does she go off. I can't read it all because that would be cheating, but basically she accuses him of being awful always. Of torturing her when he was a baby. She says she's going to have another son and sign away everything Cupid has to that son. She's going to give it his wings and his bow and even his arrows. She's going to give it all her riches. She's going to disown Cupid. She goes crazy. She's raging away, thinking all these options for how to punish Cupid sufficiently. Finally, she turns to storm out of the room, but Ceres and Juno are there watching her. Now, Ceres is the Roman name for Demeter, and Juno is the Roman name for Hera. So it's really Demeter and Hera looking at Aphrodite, but again, I'm a purist. They try to talk Venus down, pointing out that he really hasn't done anything. Did you think he would never love a girl? Is that what's so bad? He's a young man now. Seems only fair to let him have a girlfriend. They basically point out that she's being overdramatic. She's the goddess of love and lust. Who is she to tell her son he can't do just that? Venus doesn't take this well. She storms out and continues her search for Psyche. <laughs> Meanwhile, Psyche is still searching high and low for Cupid either to tell him how much she loves him or just to apologize profusely. And she comes upon a temple. She knows she's closest to him by appealing to any one of the gods, so she goes in. Turns out it's a temple to Ceres, who comes down to speak with Psyche. She tells her she knows what's going on and that Venus is out for blood. Basically, she has the whole world searching for Psyche. She wants her dead. Psyche asks Ceres if she could stay there in the temple, away from Venus. But Ceres doesn't want to get on Venus's bad side, so she forces Psyche to leave. Continuing on, she comes upon another temple, this time to Juno. She begs Juno to let her stay in the temple to shield her from Venus's anger. But Juno feels the same as Ceres. She can't go against Venus. She tells Psyche that Venus is her daughter-in-law and she's always loved her as a daughter and really she's not so bad. This, of course, does Psyche zero good, and now she's screwed once more. 
Meanwhile, Venus is continuing with her search, making it more and more insane. She calls upon Jove, Jupiter, whatever you want to call Zeus, and she asks him if she can have the help of Mercury, the messenger god and the Roman name for Hermes. When she has this help, she sends Mercury searching Earth for Psyche, and now there's a reward. So Mercury is asking everyone, literally everyone, if they've seen her. And if they have, they get the reward. So needless to say, people are pretty keen to turn in Psyche if they get the chance. Also, this whole time Venus has been calling Psyche an escaped slave, which is apparently why it's okay for her to go to all this effort to track down one girl. She's property, so you know, that's cool. Psyche, though, has learned of this reward, and so she says, fuck it. There's nothing left for me to do but to show up on Venus's doorstep. So she does. She rolls up, and one of Venus's servants runs out to greet her, treating her like the escaped slave Venus has said she is. She's brought in to see Venus, and Venus greets her as her daughter-in-law and tells Psyche that Cupid is suffering from a life-threatening wound, i.e. that burn. Pretty unclear how on earth an oil burn would be life-threatening to a god, but there you go. Maybe ambrosia doesn't account for second-degree burns. Venus tells Psyche this, that Cupid is dying, and then promptly calling in her servants, who are appropriately named Anxiety and Depression, who take Psyche away to torture her. They're named Anxiety and Depression. I love just personifications of feelings. That is what ancient Greece was good for. Seriously, Venus is not taking this well. I dare say she's overreacting about the whole thing. After Psyche's been tortured, she's apparently near death, and Venus calls her back in. Now Venus finally points out that she knows Psyche is indeed pregnant, and she starts rambling on about how she'll be a grandmother, but how the child can't be acknowledged because of this scandal, and that apparently Cupid's father didn't consent to the marriage, so that makes it illegitimate. Which I think is ironic, because Cupid's father is Mars, the Roman name for Ares, who is definitely not Venus's husband. But apparently, even when your father is a random god who is not your goddess mother's husband, he still needs to consent to your marriage. The one plus I'll take from this is that it seems to suggest that men also had to have their parents' consent before they got married, so not just ladies who don't have their own say in who they spend the rest of their lives with. Bonus? Venus even goes so far as to say she may not even let, let Psyche have the baby in the first place. Seriously, she's taking it a bit far. Don't know if she's threatening to force a miscarriage or what, but it ain't chill, Venus. Like, you need to take a couple of steps back. You need to take a look at the situation. You need to realize you're crazy. And just... Next week... Venus gives Psyche a series of utterly bananas tasks as a sort of punishment-slash-test of Psyche's resilience and her love for Cupid. Stay tuned. Thank you all for listening to this episode we'll be back next week with part three the final part of cupid and psyche my favorite myth of all time god i love it and you know when i started talking about this one and reading about it i thought Ugh, i think a lot of this is in your head from having loved it as a child so damn much and 
maybe it's not quite as good. I mean, this translation notwithstanding, because this translation is bananas amazing. But I'm thinking about it some more. I mean, this is one of the only myths where the women basically have all the agency and are the main characters throughout. Cupid is not really a big deal. Like, he's in it. He's an important side character, but this is not about him. And that's kind of awesome. Granted, the women were absolutely, you know, developed by men. Their personalities and everything you can tell by the sheer lunacy. We're not all that crazy, dudes. But still, like, that's a big step for the ancients. The story's all about women and certainly women-on-women violence, but still. Zeus isn't fucking shit up, and there is no rape in this one, guys. That's a big deal. Anyway... Thanks again. As usual, you can find me at MythsBaby on everything. I would really appreciate uh, if you would rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It would do me a world of good in getting the podcast out there a little bit more and just finding new listeners, new lovely nerds who want to hear me rant and rave about Greek mythology on a weekly basis. I know there are more out there just waiting to be found. You're all wonderful people. I'm Liv, and I fucking love this shit. It's crazy fucking shit. God. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger 
they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.